to the State of the Lakers post-game show on Dash Radio. Um, oh my goodness, what in the world did we just watch? I am completely and totally exhausted, <laughs> annoyed, yet not the least bit surprised. I remember tweeting in the middle of uh, one of their last handful of games that this team has been trying so hard to tell us exactly what who they are and exactly what they're made of. Um, this entire season and all we've done for the most part is make excuses for them and talk about all the things that are that have been working against them and here they are tonight not completely healthy but a lot more healthy than they've been in a long time and all of those same character traits that you saw when they when they were struggling when they had good reasons to struggle all those character flaws are still there um, and I think that that's not a coincidence. And, uh, obviously, uh, Raj is, uh, is dealing with, he's, uh, with some buddies. He's having a friends giving thing tonight. So he's going to hang out with us for a minute. Um, uh, but our good friend Vinay has agreed to, uh, help us all, uh, uh, try to come to terms with what we've been seeing. And so I really, really appreciate you guys. Uh, Raj, I suppose we should start with you first of all, buddy. Um, were you able to watch much, uh, much of that game? Where's your head at right now? Yeah, so I'm hosting a little Friendsgiving here, and uh, I told them that the game would be over pretty soon, and we went to the first overtime, and then the second overtime, and then a third overtime, and it's super frustrating to watch this um, as you're trying to have a good time. I don't know what the hell was going on. Uh, We played the big lineup again. We started DeAndre Jordan, which to me is insanity. This felt like another game where Frank Vogel just might be gone after this one. His first sub in the overtime, I believe, was Avery Bradley. <laughs> De'Aaron, Fo- De'Aaron Fox got whatever he wanted, I thought, uh, in the late game. Uh, just easy pick and rolls, little fadeaway jumpers. I thought Buddy Heald got open a lot. I don't know. This was super frustrating to watch as you're trying to just have a good time with other people. But, yeah, man, this is frustrating. Uh, we're just not a good team right now. It's a lot of jump shooting. Uh, we're playing way too slow. Uh, we went up 12 and then just continued to walk the ball up the floor. Russell Westbrook, LeBron, AD, just a lot of slow basketball. No sense of urgency, right? And I feel like that's been the identity of this team. It's been just a no sense of urgency type of team, and that's what I felt happened in the late game offense. We went up 12 and just started walking the ball up the floor. These these off, The offense has just come to LeBron post-ups, AD post-ups, no, no offside actions there. The only action we run is a little pin screen. But when you just throw Russ in the corner and you're running LeBron AD screen and roll, there's no space for them. Uh, that's what I thought really happened tonight. So I won't be on here too long. I appreciate you, Vinay, for coming up here. Jason, I appreciate you holding it down. But I just want to come up and say those that those few things because I thought that was super frustrating just watching the whole game kind of play out. You could tell that Sacramento never thought they were out of it. Um, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heel, De'Aaron Fox felt like they can get it whatever they want on the floor. That's what I, that's what I felt what happened in a, in the overtime and that fourth quarter. Yeah, I thought the theme of the game was settling, um, and this is what I wanted to kick to you, Vinay, just to, to to get to get your thoughts because, like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about effort and focus with this group, right? And uh, you know, effort and focus manifests in a bunch of different ways. And it's not just defense and it's not just rebounding and it's not just running the floor in transition. One of the biggest ways that effort will manifest itself is rim pressure, Um, especially with this group, this particular core group of Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis and LeBron. And we've made so many excuses for them based on spacing. And a lot of them have been legitimate. And to be clear, I do absolutely think that starting DeAndre Jordan factors in to that, to setting the tone of settling. Um, However, even when they did have the space to operate, I thought all three players, not really Russ, I'm going to get, I'm going to let Russ off the hook here, but I thought particularly AD and Braun were so, 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 so quick to settle instead of using, taking the energy that it takes, the effort that it takes to use your physical tools to beat your man to the basket, even if it's not for you, at least just to collapse the defense and to try to generate higher shot quality. Um, Vinay, what was your impression of just the general rim pressure that we were getting from LeBron and AD or the lack thereof? 
Yeah. Uh, so, so before I answer that question, I'm just going to say um, I'm, I'm not disappointed at the result of this game. Um, and, and I think when I answer your question, it'll, it'll explain why I'm not disappointed. Um, so I think what you mentioned about the spacing and DeAndre, like that's obviously an issue, right? Um, but this game was a game, even when AD went to the five or when they had one big man like Dwight, when Dwight was like the only big on the floor, there was a lot of moments where I thought, you know, like even Braun probably had some opportunities to just kind of go to the rim and, and get himself easy buckets. And um, it wasn't there, you know, like it, it was a lot of settling for jump shots, like you said. And one of my concerns, not concerns, but just like one of my observations has been that when we play 80 at the five, you know, all the, the rage has been, you know, our, our defense isn't very good. Our rotations aren't very good. But it's been so surprising to see how much AD doesn't go to the rim when he's at the five. Mm-hmm. And if you watch these these three overtimes and you watch every single time AD went to the rim, whether it was Russ running the pick and roll with him or if it was Braun running the pick and roll with him, what happened? It was usually a layup or it was like an and one opportunity or something like that. And it has been very, very fascinating. And, you know, I have my own personal conspiracy theory, but – it has been fascinating to see this team do the exact opposite of whatever the lineup that's on the floor is meant to do. You know, like you space the floor, so now everybody should be attacking the rim. But then they all just start shooting jump shots. And then when the floor is packed, we're trying to attack the rim instead of just finding shooters. So I think I think if you look at rim pressure throughout the course of just this game alone, and you see how the Lakers were kind of playing in the opposite direction of whatever that lineup was, I think – that should tell you something about just kind of where some of these players are at as it relates to whatever offense Vogel's running. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Go ahead, Rush. Yeah, just last thing, and I'll, I'll kind of go off here. Um, I was hoping they went to more LeBron, Russ, pick and roll late. I thought it was just way too much. That LeBron AD pick and roll with Russ in the corner, there's just no space. Even when LeBron, even when uh, AD is at the five, you have Melo at the four with Malik Monk. You throw Russ in the corner there. There's just no space. Um, there they zoned right up, and it just led to a lot of switching. Right, you they had a little bit of a LeBron AD pick and roll. The Kings switched that, and you had LeBron attacking Marvin Bagley, which I think is a matchup he likes. But it led to a lot of just step back jumpers. He had a lot of fadeaway jumpers uh, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. Uh, but I thought that was just bad process because eventually those shots didn't go. AD as well, right? A lot of job, a lot of jab step jumpers. And I don't know if the offense was totally issued tonight. I thought defensively as well. Uh, De'Aaron Fox, again, got to the rim. Halliburton got what he wanted. Uh, Buddy Heald was able to to get free. He had a bad shooting night, but late, I thought he got shots he wanted. There's just something missing here. And uh, to me, uh, like DeAndre Jordan played the first eight minutes uh, of the of the game. Yeah, that, um, was, went out. That, yeah. that was – yeah. I don't know how he got extended time in that first <laughs> I was, I was I was like, wait a second, it's past six minutes. How did he – how is he playing more right now? <laughs> and we, we – yeah, and there's just some negative energy that comes with that. It's so counterintuitive to how Russ wants to play. He doesn't get in rhythm. There's no speed to him. There's no there's no juice, right? And that's how Russ wants to play. And I thought that kind of set the tone for the game there. And when uh, DeAndre and when you have DeAndre Jordan just playing those minutes, I thought it just set a tone for the energy of the game. But I don't know, man. This team needs to figure things out. Like I know Kendrick Nunn's out. I know Trevor Reeves is out. Austin Reeves is out. They got to figure out how they want to play because this up and down 500 basketball is just not going to work. Again, they got that big win in Indiana. LeBron hit a lot of step back jumpers late, but again, it felt like the offense just devoured to that. So I, this was a tough game, man. <laughs> but I appreciate you guys. I, I'm a lot off here. I just want to set say my two cents there, Jason. I appreciate you hosting this, Vinay. I appreciate you ho- uh, co-hosting from me. I'm gonna get back to this Friendsgiving. Appreciate yeah. everyone coming out and listening. Uh, to, to this one. I'm, I'm going to log off on this one, though. Enjoy, enjoy the rest of your friends, <laughs> yeah, everybody. And we will see you. We will see you on Sunday. Um, I appreciate yeah, it, I thought, man. I thought there was such an interesting dynamic in the different types of closing, right? And LeBron has been famous for, uh, for, uh, for both of these uh, in large volume throughout his career. Like there's a difference between LeBron when he's closing as a guy who's running or spamming an action and making really high quality decisions out of it. And then the LeBron, I'm just trying to eat the shot clock every single time. And then as soon as I get, I'll just, I'll call to get a switch onto one of their big guys. And then I'm going to run the clock down and I'm going to take some stupid, you know, fade away or pull up three, you know, like there's, it's like aggressive closing versus passive closing, if that makes sense. And 
to your point, Vinay, because this is the interesting part here. Uh, I, I genuinely believe, and I'm assuming this is your conspiracy theory, but I genuinely believe that LeBron and AD are both capable of attacking the rim more than they have been. Oh, oh, and and if, uh, if you if you ran, go ahead. sorry, not there. If you ran this tape and before, if, if you recorded this game and you, and before, and let's say I hadn't watched this game, this is just my opinion, okay? Like, if you recorded this game and you sent it to me, you said, "Nay, before you watch this game, I want to tell you something." AD and Braun are trying to get Vogel fired. That's all I want you to have in your mind when you're watching this game before you watch it. If you watch this game, how can you not walk away from this game thinking to yourself that Braun and AD have checked out on Vogel? Of course. Like, ge- genuinely. Yeah, like, it, there's nothing about this game or the effort that they played within this game that makes me – like, I know they did some flashy stuff and ones and stuff like that, but there's nothing in this game that makes me think that they're committed to playing un- under Frank Vogel this season. Nothing at all. Absolutely not. Yeah, I'm 100% on the same page with you. And and it's funny because it's going to be really annoying when this change does come down and then they both walk back in because this has not been Frank's fault. (laughs) Frank Frank has not been perfect, as we've said so many times. Frank has not been perfect. However, a a good portion of this is LeBron and AD in cruise control just chilling. They literally look like when the the D1 level talent goes up to the rec gym to play pickup. And obviously he could get to the rim anytime he wants, but he's just taking stupid jump shots and fadeaways just because it's fun. And he's not trying to get hurt. And he's just trying to get a sweat in. That's literally what it looks Mm -hmm. like when you're watching these guys. But I thought it was interesting because they, they got a huge lead at the start of the fourth quarter with uh, a really interesting lineup with LeBron and Dwight. And then uh, three shooters with Mello and Malik Monk. And with Wayne Ellington. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the game, they got back into the game because of stagnant offense, uh, a lot of, uh, of, of bad shots and bad defense. Then you go into OT, same thing. LeBron actually makes a couple jump shots. Mm-hmm. They get up by seven, same thing, goes back into that stagnant passive closing, goes away. So then in double OT, they go to Russ. And Russ is at least running pick and roll with AD, so they're starting to get downhill. And uh, and there was one play where it broke down, and he ended up uh, in like the chaos ensuing where he hit LeBron right under the basket for a dunk, and then there was the other one where he hit AD for the layup and the foul. So they were getting better yep. stuff. So then, um, then at the end of OT when they're down, because I think they got down by three, LeBron gets the ball back in his hands, and you could tell he's like, I'm not settling anymore. And back-to-back mm-hmm. times, back-to-back times gets to the rim. Uh, takes Alex Len, finishes and one with the left-handed layup, or the little uh, floater, or floater the, off the The glass. right-handed floater. Yeah. yeah. And, then, and then he drives on Marvin Bagley in the right corner. And it's like, you're literally watching the game. You're like, where has this been? Like, you literally have had those same matchups in this game, and you've just been unwilling to do it. And, and honestly, I thought it was a basketball gods kind of thing because the shot that he took at the end of it was either the first overtime or second overtime, that three from the top of the key at the buzzer. Couldn't yeah. he 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 came about as close as you can come to making that shot without making it. It was dead on straight and he just left it a tiny bit short. But it's one of those things where it's like, no, dude, you're not getting that tonight. <laughs> you don't get to. Yeah. You don't yeah. get to be the hero after you just yeah, BS your it, it way through the like game. He was OK with you. It seemed like he was okay with being like in that position. Like if it was a tie game, you know, like obviously we don't think that people game ahead like that or Braun games ahead that far. He just wants to win the game. But it's just like, you know, like he lives for those kind of moments too, to some degree to, to be able to hit game winners um, you know, in front of a home crowd and stuff like that. But I just, you know, we're, we're talking about their offense in o- overtime, but I, I'll, I'll be honest, they should not have even made it to the, the third overtime no, because they, they, were giving, they, they were giving <laughs> – but but they were giving Buddy Heald like open, so Sack Sack was running like this three man weave with Alex Len, Buddy Heald, and Darren Fox trying to get like one of the three Lakers that was trying to defend it out of position, and the goal was to get Buddy Heald a wide open three. So so the the play that I think Buddy ties the game up, I forgot which if it was first overtime or second overtime, um, Braun Buddy's assignment is Braun, and so Braun is on Buddy the entire time. But then, like, the final action of, of whatever set that they were running, like, Braun just leaves Buddy. Just, he, he doesn't even bother to get him. And Monk is on Alex Len. And then Braun just walk, looks at Malik. And Malik's, like, trying to get past Alex Len to defend, that, defend Buddy's three. And Buddy just drains it and just walks back to the other way. And the, I mean, I, 
I, I, I was in a group chat with somebody else, but I just messaged him. I was just like, oh, Braun just gave up on this play. He was just like, all right, I'm not chasing this guy anymore for the rest of this possession. So whoever makes it, if he makes it, he makes it, whatever. But that mental process of doing that, of like, you know, like how he didn't close out on the Alex Len three that tied up the game. Yep. Yeah, he just started they gave him a lead. <laughs> Like, I, I was just like, you know, we weren't doing that last game. We weren't doing that in the Indiana game. Like in the Indiana game, he was very crisp and stuff like that with his rotations. Everybody was. But it's just like that last... If he closes out on that shot, maybe Alex Len doesn't make that three, you know, or, or maybe he, he he changes his decision or he doesn't making. take it. And the, yeah, yeah, and, and the Lakers win that game, you know. Um, and, and the reason why I give you, if you give the contrast, you know, that the De'Aaron Fox they, they let time run out right out of that second overtime. Mm-hmm. If you watch that play, he's got Russ on him, and he, they've been trying to get Malik uh, De'Aaron Fox on Malik because De'Aaron could get that jumper off uh, in a one on one. So Russ actually fights through to the screen so that De'Aaron doesn't get, you know, he doesn't get the, the matchup that he wants late in the game. And then, you know, the Fox has like a brain fart and passes it away. And, and then uh, time expires. We go into triple overtime. But it's like that kind of small effort. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just not there, um, especially on the defensive end. Um, and it, it, look, everybody's been complaining about Ellington, Malik, us playing Avery Bradley, like, you know, guys that are not offensively inclined. But if Braun and AD aren't going to be engaged on the defensive end, unless somebody's literally shooting the ball in their face, who, like, who else can you blame? You know, and that, that's just my opinion. That, that I, I don't, I can't get mad at any, I can't get mad at Malik Monk for not being able to defend De'Aaron Fox because that's not what he should be in there for to begin with. You know, like we shouldn't be allowing him to get switched off of him so easily. But, you know, that that's what happened. I thought Zach... Sacramento dictated all all of the uh, all of the overtime, second and third overtime for sure. Yeah. Oh no, it kind of felt like this pseudo inevitable outcome in a weird way, even though the Lakers had several big leads late. Um, you know, so I, I do want to get away from the crunch time offense because we sure. we really need to hammer home this point with LeBron and AD because it's really bad. Um, just in the regular flow of the game, offense, there are these two outcomes that we're seeing a lot that are indicative of this mentality that LeBron and AD are both lacking right now, because it, 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 it foundationally starts with this concept that we think that LeBron and AD, when they are engaged and healthy are both top five players. That's, that's the, that's the secret sauce of this entire Lakers experiment. Right. Um, but whether now some people outside of Lakers circles might tell you LeBron's old AD actually, uh, um, you know, shot uncharacteristically well in the bubble. So, you know, the, the reality is, is they're not that anymore. I would argue that the truth is probably somewhere in the middle, but I still think that when they're healthy and actually engaged in making a concerted effort to use their physical tools, that they are top five players. And the, the, the read that you see most commonly with the two of them, that is such a dead ringer for this concept is Anthony Davis post up, jab step jump shot it's you're seeing that you're seeing that now <laughs> almost every single post up and then with lebron it's the high screen and roll okay he went under i'm taking a three but it's not i'm taking a balanced three right at the three-point line it's i'm taking a 27 footer after mm-hmm. where it's like yeah the dude went under the screen lebron but he went under the screen because you ran it at 27 feet you know like there's a reason why right. you're open there man like and and that's the You've seen that with LeBron this entire season is is just high volume three point shots almost as like a punt. Like it's almost like he's mm-hmm. punting the possession like this isn't going to use any of my energy. This is going to I'm already halfway back on defense. <laughs> like, let me just say, like if you could see them, they're all clustered at the top of the key, too. But that that LeBron three, when the defender goes under, you know, from 27 feet, top of the key is his dead giveaway. And then with Anthony Davis, it's the jab step jump shot. But it's you can tell without a shadow of a doubt that LeBron and AD are withholding some of their physical imprint on the game and not just some, but a lot of their physical imprint on the game on both ends of the floor, both as rim pressuring uh, offensive players and as hyper versatile defensive forwards that should in theory be the cornerstone of a top five defense. And, and so to your point, and it might be Frank and we're not sure. And we'll find out and we're going to find out quickly, I think, hopefully, but, but look, for whatever I, reason, I told, they're, not I told they're not dialed in. I was, yeah, I was going to say, I, I told a couple of friends that Frank wasn't going to, if I said that Frank would be let go before this game, 
because of what happened on the road trip um, and them going down so big. So if I'm off by one game, if he gets let go after this game, um, which I think is very, very possible uh, for that to happen, uh, I'm going to call myself a prophet because like, I feel like I saw this coming. I thought we'd see it today. I thought they would hold off on Thanksgiving Day because I would be tacky and then they would do it today. Black Friday. Yeah. Fire Frank. So so, so let's talk about – so you brought up something very interesting, right? Um, The idea that LeBron and, and AD are holding back their talents, right, or holding back like sort of their full repertoire of, of doing stuff um, for whatever reason that they're choosing to do it. Um, and let, let's split those two things, split those two players apart for a second. Okay. Cause Bron, Bron's been out for a certain amount of games. Obviously that I think that groin injury and stuff like that is still something he's trying to work himself through. Like in, in the first half of the game, I think he had a post-up spin move or something like that. And then he grabbed his groin. Um, and I saw people tweeting like, Oh, he's going to get fined for that. I was just like, no, I think he's actually like, like he may have tweaked his groin. Like, I don't think he's like, he's doing a celebration or something like that. But um, let's talk about 80 for a second. Okay. Um, when we added Russ to this team, I wrote this nice thousand word article with like gifts and all that sort of stuff talking about how Russ's motor would be great for a guy like Anthony Davis, because, because he's always attacking the rim. It almost forces AD to have to like participate in that process with him. Right. Because mm-hmm. AD is such a good finisher. And we've seen through stretches of certain games where they've been really, really good when they're working with each other, like attacking the rim, picking their spots and stuff like that. But there have been way too many moments where AD's not like a partner in crime with him in, in those pick and rolls. And so like when I started seeing him sort of settle for jump shots, I was like, all right, that's fine. As long as AD's not trying to take these jump shots out of isolation, which he doesn't do very well, just do it out of the pick and roll because Russ is going to get you a wide open jumper anyways, right? Mm-hmm. But then if you watch today's game, watch the pick and rolls that AD and Russ ran. There are some where AD's running with him. There are some where AD creates like the passing angle um, for Russ to, what's it called? Like, uh, you know, for Russ to deliver a pass. Him. And then the most, the most fascinating ones, um, it's probably not the adjective other people use. They probably say it's frustrating. But there's ones where he delivers a screen and he just leaves the play. Like it's just Russ dribbling the ball with like a live dribble waiting to see like all right ad are you gonna are you gonna you know give me somebody to pass the ball are you gonna roll to the rim are you gonna pop out somewhere where i can give you the ball like you can watch russ do it for one to two dribbles like just waiting and when point guards do stuff like that that means that somebody abandoned whatever the play was supposed to be absolutely like that that was early that that was the fresh off the bubble special was the 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 screen and just exit the play (laughs) yeah yeah and so and so you know like the part that you know i'm I'm a big fan of russ i'm from la so like i always love like the la guys and stuff i got especially since they're playing for the lakers but like the thing that's been the most jarring thing the most contrasting thing for me uh as a theme through this season because we haven't seen enough broad is if we talk about uh, how much of a high motor Russ has, like at some point we have to have a conversation about like the lack or, or the selective motor that AD has. Like at some point we can't, as, as fans, I keep thinking to myself, like we can't, and we, we can't just sit there and just be like, all right, it's cool if AD doesn't do anything for two to three, two to three quarters or like two quarters of a game, or if he's on the floor for eight minutes and then he's just kind of, you know, floating around and, and, and doing what he's doing. Like, at that point, once Russ starts panicking and doing stuff that you don't want him to do and everybody starts getting mad at his turnovers, it's like, who's going to help him out? And, and, and the reason why I know that's true or I think it, 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 I'm making sense is because look at how good Malik Monk is looking next to Russ. Oh, yeah. Like, he's got a partner in crime to play with him. And then you look at the, the trio t- today, THT, uh, Malik Monk, and Russ. Those three guys were great like today, like defensively, offensively, in transition. So if you – are a partner in crime when it comes to this kind of play, then you can be successful. But if our two stars don't want to be, you know, if they don't want to participate, then what can we do? No, I a hundred percent agree. And you know, and it's dirty work to, to ask him to screen and roll to the basket every time. Cause yeah, you're going to bump into mm-hmm. people. You're going to, you're going to uh, occasionally have a dude, you know, try to undercut you and you might, you might fall and you might have said these ugly plays here and there. That's that, I get it. It's no different than when it's like, Hey AD, I need you to play center, which means, you might need to cover, you know, more ground defending pick and rolls. And you might have to bang bodies with Alex Lynn more often instead of just offloading that responsibility to Dwight. Same thing goes for LeBron. It's like, yeah, man, it's going to be 
hard to ask you to be the, the guy who's the backline helper when AD is involved in a screen and roll because you're going to have to cover this amount of ground. You're going to have to communicate. You're going to have to stay focused. You can't take as many possessions off. And, you know, we have all these people that come in and they all say the same thing. They go, it's, you know, it's too much to ask LeBron in his age, you know, 37 season to do this, this, and this. And they'll say, you know, you know, Anthony Davis, you know, if we have him play center all season, he, it's going to be really hard on his body. And it's like, I, I hate to break it to you guys, but playing winning basketball is hard. It's hard. Mm-hmm. So we have to make a decision here. Are, are we, as a, you know, this team has to make a decision. Do you want to take all of the dirty work away from LeBron and AD and make their jobs easy, but the team sucks? Or do you want to try to be what Steph is doing with the Warriors, you know, engaging as a 6'3 slight guard as a, a, who's in all defense conversation, which may or may not be legitimate. But the point is, is like, the, around the league, when you look at these teams that are that are on that path, the, the straight and narrow path to contention, their stars are doing dirty work. And, I, and, I, and what bothers me the most is like, go look at the 2020 Lakers. With the 2020 Lakers, AD played a lot of center. He brought his motor night in and night out. Was significant. He was running significantly higher. Same with LeBron. And you know what? Their bodies held up. It did because at the end of the day, the dirty little secret is, is they probably got more wear and tear bullshitting through tonight's game than they would have got if they would have focused up and gotten the job done in two and a half quarters. And so I have a huge, yeah. I have a huge problem with this idea of us babying LeBron and AD and acting like we can't ask them to be basketball players. Like all of the other top tier stars in the league are basketball players who have a job that they do on every possession. It blows my mind. So, so, you know, like so far, like we, we've been, we've been talking a lot about like just brought in AD and just kind of their, the way that they've been in and out of sort of games and this game being a, a nice example of just kind of what they were doing um, to some degree um, being, being selective with their effort, whether it's offense or defense. Um, so, so one of the things I do want to say that um, because we mentioned Vogel is that I, I think the league um, coaches around the league are adjusting too fast for him to be able to react to, and like that overtime, it, it was it, there was no transition basketball. There's nothing like that. It was just slow it down. Everybody's walking the ball up uh, for like 99 percent of the possessions that were on there. And um, when he pulled, I want to say uh, when he pulled, I think when he put Avery Bradley in, or I forget when it was, but in like that third overtime. They basically, oh, sorry, when when Alex Lynn got pulled out the game uh, because he fouled out, they put Tristan Thompson in the game, right? And so Tristan was standing, like, in the corner, right, three. Like, um, Alvin Gentry, all he did was he started, instead of attacking, uh, you know, using Alex Lynn to space the floor and to have AD and drop coverage or whatever he, whatever Vogel had him doing, um, like, he just picked out Mello. He just said, all right, whoever's Mello, whoever Mello is guarding, just come and scream, mm-hmm. and we'll put, we'll put Mello on an island. So it's just like, and then we watched like three straight plays of Melo get picked on before Frank actually like called a timeout and subbed him out. By then it was already too late. But like that's an example of like what, what I'm trying to say. Like if you watch other coaches around the league, it's like one possession. Like you'll see Eric Spolster do like watch that happen once and he'll, he'll call a timeout and be like, okay, we're changing the coverage right now because we're not going to let this happen again. Like immediately the next play because it forces the offense on the other end um, to, to have to adjust. I don't think Frank's cut out for it. In, in all honesty, I, I'm I with you. He has, I think he has base coverages. He has like set game plans, and then he adjusts based on what the other teams do. And what we're watching is in the regular season, teams are just going to throw the kitchen sink at the Lakers. Um, if if they can't score at all, they'll just turn it into ISO basketball, and they'll find the worst defender on the floor, and they'll just attack that guy. And that's nothing nothing to do with Melo. Melo is who he is. Again, like we as Laker fans should not expect a 36-year-old Mellow or nine, year 19 Mellow to be a lockdown defender. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, that's that's not why we brought him here. Um, and, and that's not what we brought him in for. And I, I, I just – I don't think he can keep up with it. You know, that, that's been my thing. This this roster has too many uh, offensively inclined guys, and he can't get to whatever, you know, equilibrium he needs to get to to, to be confident with his lineups. And, you know, that, it, it is what it is. You know, like, it, you can't really make an excuse for it. It's just – 
it may be too much for somebody to handle. Yeah, you know, it's an interesting phenomenon because the Laker identity from the beginning has been a brute force identity. The, the, the best person I've seen explain this is Mike Trudell um, on the Laker Film Podcast. The idea that like, hey, you know, sets carry a certain amount of value. That value diminishes the closer you get to the end. Because when you're against the highest level defenses that are likely going to be switching everything and that are likely going to know all of your actions, they're probably going to be able to switch their way through anything. And it's going to inevitably devolve into who can create an advantage in a one-on-one scenario. And do you really think of anybody better than LeBron and AD at that specific thing? And so that's, that, that's been their cop-out, their excuse that they use um, for their very rudimentary offensive concepts. And the, the, but the reality is, is there's a, there's a flip side to it because yes, when we get to those moments, I feel comfortable that LeBron AD and Russ are going to be able to create advantages at a, as, at as high a rate, if not a higher rate than anybody in the league that, that goes without saying, but in the day-to-day dregs in the regular season, what we're seeing is you've got LeBron, uh, and AD, LeBron and AD who have, as jump shooters can be streaky. And then, and then you've got Russ, who's kind of like, I like the way you describe him as an engine. Like when he gets warmed up, Russ has these stretches of the game where it's just drive after drive after drive and just good stuff happens on every single one of them. The, the trick there is, is we're not reaching the good. So when I say streaky, that means there's good and there's bad. But we're seeing a lot more bad than the good. And I think a lot of that has to do with the lack of easy opportunities to establish rhythm and to establish comfort. Having this is my biggest problem with DJ being a starter. There's a half dozen problems with DJ being a starter, but the biggest problem is the way that it janks up the offense to the point where every one of the three stars starts with two or three tough jump shots as their first shot attempts of the game. So yeah, they but, might but, make uh, them, but they I'll, might I'll miss them. You, I'll, sorry, I'll give you. I'll give you the perfect. This is the this is the metaphor I like to use when when we play these DJ lineups at the beginning of the game and at the at, at the the beginning of the second half. It's like waking up in the morning, getting kicked in the balls and then starting. The exactly. Like that's, literally, exactly. That's, literally what these games, that's literally what these games, like what these, like it's a tie game and we immediately go down six points, like within like three minutes of basketball or through seven points or so, some nonsense number. And it's just like every single time. It's just like, I, I feel like Laker fans already know what's going to happen. Like as soon as the third quarter starts, they're like, all right, Let's wait to go down by like six, seven, you know, two, three points. Or sorry, not two, three, two, three possessions, and then Frank's gonna have to pull them. And that's exactly what happened in this game. It's just I don't know how many times we can get kicked in the balls, you know, before somebody has to make a change. So if Frank's not gonna be the one that does it, that's why I think you know he's easy to throw. But I interrupt you. No, you're fine. Uh, but it's it's a basic basketball concept. Like like for all of you out there who play consistent pickup hoops. When you show up, like each day kind of takes an identity. I have days when I go up there and my legs feel great and I'm living at the rim. And I have days when I go up there and I'm kind of just coasting around. My jump shot feels really good and I'm taking a lot of jump shots and you, you, your day kind of is shaped by, you know, how things go in the first few minutes that you're playing. Right. And then that kind of identity just shapes the rest of your day. You know, you have a day where you're not giving a shit on defense. You have a day where, you know, maybe you're with a good group of guys and everyone's playing hard. And so you, you, you're locked in and you're playing defense. Some of that stuff is translatable here. Like if you, Make guys, if you set LeBron, AD, and Russ up early in the game to feel comfortable with advantages, catching where it's not always against a set defense in a half court, but either with a defender closing out where they have an advantage or in transition when the defense isn't set or with space to where if you have a good matchup, you have the ability to make easy reads um, after you beat your primary defender. If they get enough of those early in the game, I'm a firm believer that it translates to the rest of the game. If LeBron is settling for jump shots early in the game, I don't think it's a coincidence that that becomes a theme throughout the game, you know, and ironically, that's almost become a theme for the season for him, which I think has a lot to mm-hmm. do with the, with these factors. Same goes for Anthony Davis. But the point being like some getting somebody in the door, whether, whether it's a new coach or whether, well, let's just put it this way, whether it's a new system or scheme, that sets them up with easy shots or a coach that puts them in a position where they are bought back into the season physically to the point where they're willing to put their physical imprint on the game. Speaking about LeBron and AD to the point where early in the game, they're putting their head down and getting to the rim more. 
I just think it would change the the overall outlook for how these games go. And I I know that seems confusing and it's not it's not a very, you know, logical approach, but for those of you who've played, you know what I'm talking about. You know, there's there is yeah. such a thing as like the feel of a game and how you feel with the group that you're playing with and whether or not you feel comfortable or you feel uncomfortable. And the bottom line is, is Frank has not put these guys in a position to where they feel comfortable in the offense. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think the last space, uh, when I was talking to Raj about it, like that, I think that what you're describing is the impasse that Frank is like, this is the, I, I try to term it as like the identity crisis. Like, I think this is the identity crisis that Frank is trying to figure out. And he's losing that battle because he's the way he is. So this was, this was my logic. Uh, let me take a step back. When I think Frank Vogel is being evaluated by the front office this season, based on his ability to optimize all of the offensive players and the offense that's on this team. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question from this front office that if you got him defensive minded players like Alex Caruso and KCP Kuzma, whoever, like if you got him guys like that, he could put together a, a you know, a top three. I think he's the best right? defensive coach in basketball. And I thought he proved it round right. after round yeah. in the bubble. Yeah, fair. Um, but I think, I think this front office this season um, with some guidance from Braun and by, and, you know, because Rob Polink has said over and over again, this is a partnership with Braun and AD. This is not me just doing stuff on my own and not running stuff by him. Um, so I think there was a conversation about making a more offensively inclined roster. Um, and then working on the defense as the season goes on, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's why this roster is built the way that it is built. I think that's why they made the trade for Russ, um, because they wanted another guy that wasn't just Braun um, that could set up the other players and set up Braun at the same time, because we've definitely seen that where West, you know, Westbrook and Braun, um, that tandem's worked out really well, um, mm-hmm. especially in transition and stuff like that. Um, and I think that's what the front office wants to do with this roster. But I think Frank is evaluating his roster based on what his uh, who who's going to play defense for me, regardless of how good they are offensively. Like Malik Monk wasn't like uh, th- there's a subsection of Lakers Twitter or Lakers Nation that thought Malik Monk was good enough to start from the jump, you know. But a lot of people were saying, look, he's not he's not quite there defensively to to be able to do that. And here we are in game 21. Malik Monk is like, <laughs> in, you know, like he's. He's playing these minutes, and he, he's doing a good – it's not like he's doing a terrible job. He's doing like an, at least like a baseline job of, of trying to stay in front of guys and stuff like that when he isn't getting picked on. But that, that in itself, the fact that they're measuring each other, they're measuring the roster on two completely different wavelengths, that is why I think there's an impasse, there's an identity crisis. And when we look at Frank and we say, look, man, we got to let you go because we need we, – we can't have both. We can't have a bottom five defense and a bottom five offense. Like this roster is good enough to have a much better offense than a bottom five offense. And, and I think that's ultimately why he'll let go. He'll be let go. Um, and, and I think that's just what this season is. That's why you keep seeing games like this. And, and we're a 500 team. No, I hundred percent agree. I think, I think the, I think the harsh reality though, and I think you'd probably agree here is that there's not, you know, some magic coaching fix for the offense in the sense that there's no actual candidate out there that represents a, um, you know, a a clear philosophy that would fix this. Um, My guess is what will end up happening if that does happen is they'll stay in house and they'll go with either Phil Handy or um, uh, Fizdale. And then what'll happen is, and I I can just kind of see this coming a mile away. What'll happen is, is they'll make the change. It'll be the big nuclear bomb that gets dropped on the season and Anthony Davis and LeBron will re-engage. And then when they do, the offense will look better, but it will be primarily based on ironically a Frank concept, which was, which was paint to great. This idea, yeah. this idea that like, cause when we, when we see the Lakers look good offensively, it's a really basic concept. It's LeBron and AD putting their head down. Uh, mainly LeBron and Russ AD really hasn't had a stretch like this, this season. And that goes to a whole other topic, but really it's Braun and Russ putting their heads down, getting into the paint and either finishing or spraying out to really good shooters. Cause the Lakers now have really good shooting on the team. Um, you know, they have, they have three bona fide, cannot leave them open shooters that are in their rotation. 
And so from that standpoint, you know, the offense kind of ebbs and flows based on rim pressure. And so, you know, you can, you can, you know, talk about, you know, scheme this scheme that coach this coach that, but the reality is, is when LeBron and AD re-engage after the coaching change and they start Mm -hmm. pressuring the rim again, I think you're going to see this team take off offensively. Because the because the, yeah. the reality is is like once that once that ball gets rolling in that direction they have the talent to be a top five offense. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and, and um, you know to, to change some of the energy of our conversation, but so so it doesn't seem so dreary. Um, there has been some good stuff that's happened, like even um, in like the silver lining stuff that's happened since Braun has been sitting out. So you know, with us being so so shorthanded. You know, we've seen Austin Reeves kind of develop into like this role where he looks like he he could be a real rotation player. Um, so, so that's been good. Um, but I, I would say like over the past couple of, uh, of games and this game, especially um, the Russ and Malik tandem and then like the Russ Malik and Taylor Horton Tucker tandem has been slowly growing into something that like is a very interesting trio of players to watch because you have two guys who are over rim attackers in Russ and THT. And then you have Malik Monk who can kind of score at basically all three levels. And he has like that irrational J.R. Smith confidence. And so it's been really interesting to see how they complement each other and who gets the ball more. Like this game, there was, there, there was probably, I want to say in the second quarter, there was a, a four possession or five possession sequence where Malik just ran the offense. He ran like two or three pick and rolls with AD. Uh, they scored two, like at least twice out of them. And then after they got a lead of like about six or seven points, like I think Malik had like two turnovers and then they cut the lead to like four. So it's like, you know, having the right amount of balance of how much you have him make the decisions and stuff like that. But Russ was on the floor too as well. Mm-hmm. Like and he, he was playing off ball. He wasn't getting in the way. Like, so like there has been some good stuff that's happened. Like, again, this was another game like the Cleveland game where you saw Russ working off of whatever Braun was doing. Russ, cut, you know, teams load up. You know, Russ's man goes to load up for double Braun. Russ immediately back cuts for a layup. You know what I mean? Um, I think there was one where Russ cut and Braun missed him. Like, yeah. Like right in front of him. In OT. Yeah. And that, yeah. And that would have been, you know, that, that would have been a momentum changing play too. But it's just like, you're not, um, I think going into the season, there was probably a lot of fans saying like, oh, how are you going to manage to keep Russ on the floor uh, in the late game? Because he can't shoot the ball and stuff like that. He's finding ways. You know, he's cutting to the rim. We saw that in the Detroit game. AD set up Russ for cuts um and his rebound like uh, I, you know I, a lot of people may have forgotten but the guys that were grabbing the rebounds at against uh sabonis in the indie game it was russ and mellow like they're they didn't have a height advantage or a size advantage on the guys that they were boxing out they were just out hustling effort, man. Yeah. yeah and and he had a couple of offensive rebounds at the end of uh, you know in, in overtime to try and create some extra possessions for the lakers too malik um, monk has shown a lot of that lately too yeah yeah, and I'm sorry, that was the other thing I was going to say. That trio is actually a pretty good – it seems, it feels like a good rebounding trio because mm-hmm. uh, Tucker and Malik will, will crash the glass from their guard, guard spots to grab rebounds. So it's like there are some good things. Um, but, you know, like I told Raj and the other thing, like the championship pieces are on the table. They're just so far apart from each other. We don't know what the whole picture looks like. And you can only look at it in pockets and stuff like that. But I, I do think, you know, the, the effort, consistent effort at least – um, from from Braun and AD, yeah, that that's a pretty big piece of the puzzle. It's the so biggest piece, it's man. It's the biggest yeah. piece. Like it's it's that joke that that Dario Soriano from LFR always tells. Like you can't judge scheme without effort. It's just a it's yeah. a, it's a basic concept. And you know, I could even take that a step further with all the role players, man. And I'm sure you'd agree with me here. Like, how can I really really judge Malik Monk's defensive fit with this team projecting it to the playoffs if LeBron and AD are bullshitting? How could like even as a backup backup center, which is what I envisioned DeAndre Jordan, someone who would only play when AD has to rest or when Dwight has to rest. And and how can I really even judge how he's contributed to this group when he's playing alongside a starting lineup that has two alleged top five players that are BSing their way through these games? Like, it's not fair. It's not fair to judge them in that regard. And and, 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 and I'm just saying, like, and for the record, I, I, I think a lot of what we're seeing is real. Malik Monk is going to have some defensive struggles. He's not going to be capable of the same thing that, that uh, the guards that we had in previous iterations of this team could do. 
DeAndre Jordan is probably our worst drop coverage big that we've had since we've uh, started this. But the truth is, is we're, we're, we're a bad drop team with AD and Dwight. So, so how can I, how can I really get out here and be like, Oh, you know, Dwight just, just really bad signing. It's like, well, I, we envisioned him as a third drop coverage center and all of our drop coverages suck. And and so from all I'm saying is like, none of this is, is easy to evaluate until LeBron and AD start carrying the way that Steph is carrying right now, the way that Draymond is carrying right now, the way that Chris Paul is carrying right now, the way that any of these teams that are trending and hitting those championship checkpoints, the way those teams are trending until, until LeBron and AD start making a concerted effort to get that team on that track. We can't even really like if you were trying to plan for the trade deadline right now, how could you even, how could you even conceptualize that with beyond seeing until you see what LeBron and AD are capable of with this group? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's why I think you know uh, because there's always rumors whenever your team's not doing well and stuff like that. And obviously we're the Lakers, so we're, there's always some conversation about somebody getting traded at a trade. Mm-hmm. Even when we're winning championships, there's always a conversation about it. Um, so a lot of folks are probably looking in that direction that you know there may be some personnel changes, but I, I don't think personnel changes are going to fix this team. Like it's it's going to have to happen. It's going to have to be something significant, like you know, like the the, the coach getting fired. Um, uh, and being replaced by somebody that the players actually like. And I think, you know, I I would agree with you that, that there's no baseline for us to look at because the effort has been so – there's no consistent effort, so there's no consistent baseline. There's nothing that I can look at and say, okay, at least I know we can do this. Yeah, like when we try wow. as hard as we possibly can at this thing, it doesn't work. Like we don't have any of that. Yeah, right. Uh, but I will say that DJ, <laughs> DJ is unplayable. Like, <laughs> there is no version – Look, okay, they started this game, right? And they were scoring on their um, the basket that was in front of their bench, right? So the bench has, the Laker bench has full view, okay? Crystal clear view of what DeAndre is doing when the ball is coming in his direction. Mm-hmm. And they're watching him basically turn passes that should be catch and dunks into 50-50 catches. Like, it's, it's almost like, you know, like a running back that can't, catch a pitch or something like that from her, or, or grab a handoff. That's how bad he's missing these. And it's just like the part that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to keep harping on Frank because I think we've, we've done that enough, but it is crazy, crazy. How many plays go, anybody go. If, if you want to torture yourself a little bit more and you're into that kind of stuff, go watch the first quarter and watch how many possessions where Deandre either, you know, he got bumped on a box out and he wasn't able to get the rebound where the ball went to him and he got stripped. And then watch what he does after that. There are so many possessions at the beginning of the game um, where he just doesn't run back. And he just throws his hands up in the air and he's whining and complaining like, like a kid who didn't get his allowance for the week. And it's, it's a five on four. And I don't care whether we're playing the Kings or the Lakers are lucky they didn't go down by double digits at the end of the first quarter because the Kings couldn't make a, a wide open three. Like we were fortunate that they couldn't make shots, but you can't do that. You can't have four to five possessions in a quarter, or or even you know close to six to seven, six to eight possessions, where you're playing five on four basketball because your center's pouting about not getting a call. Like it's not possible. You're not going to win a game by doing that. And teams, I think today, um, I thought I saw it in the playoff series against the Suns. I think teams have gone in with the game plan against the 2021 Lakers, specifically Frank Vogel's Lakers, and said, look, we're not even going to try to go to the rim. We're not going to bother because we know that we can't shoot over two seven-footers. So we're just going to find the open, create the open three and win these five-on-fours and just take open threes. <laughs> and we'll just turn it into a shootout. And, and they're getting their asses kicked. You know, like the, the, that, That's what's happening to the Lakers every single time. Um, they get lazy on defense. And then all of a sudden, you know, the team hits three threes in a row, and now oh, whatever lead that we had, is gone. So that's it. Yeah. That, that's, that's the best, the best way I can describe there it. There was a, I actually thought about you earlier tonight cause you've been on, you've been one of the people that's been on this. You know, there, there are a bunch of problems with the DJ lineups. There's, you know, the offensive spacing problems that we've discussed um, because he doesn't even offer vertical spacing because like you said, he's got stone hands. Um, there's the, 
you know, the defensive part of it, like how, how bad our drop coverages look in general, or anytime you ask him to cover any sort of ground, there's a defensive rebounding problem for whatever reason, when Deandre Jordan's on the floor, we just cannot secure a rebound. Like I saw a stat the other day, like more than one out of every three opponent misses are offensive rebounded against EJ, like which, which would rank last in the league. Like there's all these problems, but one of the big ones that you've been on all season is overall foot speed and the way that it hurts you in transition. And there was actually a play in tonight's game where uh, uh, it turned into a five on two um, because DJ bots, I can't remember the exact circumstances of the play, but LeBron tried to make a play for DJ and it got botched. Okay. After it got botched, LeBron and DJ both were like DJ, obviously is just slow. LeBron obviously pouted. And then AD is also slow. Like it's what we've talked about on this pod a lot. AD, what makes AD a super duper star is definitely not straight line speed. <laughs> That's not his, his supreme talent. And so all of a sudden, like I literally screenshot, I took a screenshot because all five Kings jerseys were south of the three point line. So they were literally all the way on the other, the far fourth of the court with uh, uh, Avery Bradley and, uh, and Russell Westbrook trying to play two on five defense. And they had all three of those Lakers had not even crossed that court. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. It's like they are yeah, so slow in terms of their overall foot speed with that lineup. It is untenable. Yeah. What, what do you, what do you think? Just, just humor me for a second. What do you think? What do you think Frank Vogel is probably telling these guys? Like when he, when they pull up the film and they see that there's a five on two, what do you think he's saying? He's like, Hey guys, we just gotta be better. Like, hey, we gotta put some more effort into it. Dude, you know, the film sessions like, have to be total shit shows. They have to be because there has to be private conversation among the coaching staff. That's like, well, we can't show them all the plays. <laughs> like, like if we show them, they, they, they screwed up on all the plays. How do we, how do we do this? Yeah. Cause that's, that's the part, you know, like earlier this season we were, you know, Laker fans were upset that, you know, like mellow didn't look good um, defensively. And he wasn't putting an effort to some degree and Malik Monk, you know, same thing with Russ, like all these role players kept getting like their effort picked apart and stuff like that. And I was sitting there and I was just like, yeah, you know, some of this is fair. Like some of these guys, should be, you know, um, better on the defensive end, on the effort end and stuff like that when they're not asked to carry the offensive load. But then, like, some of those guys have improved, you know, like Melo's gotten a better, like, to, to a baseline where he's not, like, a complete C, right? Like, if he's not, de- if he's defending a guy who's the same size as him, you know, same kind of speed and uh, as him and stuff like that, he's, he's okay. He's not, he's not terrible. I think he's been okay, um, too. To, yeah. yeah, Malik and, and even Russ, they, they've all gotten better, but it's just, like, I, I just keep thinking to myself, it's just like, how, how do you, when you see AD just kind of chill out on the offensive end and not do anything, you know what I mean? And then just watch his guys have to do everything by themselves or you see Braun not run back. Like I would, I can't imagine Frank saying anything. He probably just fast forwards right through that possession <sighs> because he knows that he doesn't want to bring it up. And, um, but the, you know, the, the, that's my thing. Like I'm sure people are going to say at the end of this game, like Frank has got to go because look at the offense that they're running at the end of the game. But if Braun wants to run post-up ISOs because he's getting Terrence Davis, a small guy, um, or De'Aaron Fox, a small guy, and Sacramento isn't switching, Frank's not going to be able to override LeBron. No. Like, he, and so it's like, how can I get mad at Frank for something like that? And they're like, oh, maybe we should run it with Russ a little bit more. It's like, Russ isn't going to override LeBron because we've been screaming, don't get in LeBron's way, you know, the entire time. And so it, it it's just Frank – you know, obviously, we, we talked about how he look, evaluates this roster and, and gives minutes, distributes minutes and stuff like that, how the front office is doing it. I think the other thing that Frank has had some difficulty with, um, which is something I've always praised, like a guy like uh, Eric Spolstra and, and Ty Lue, is he intimately um, – that he, he has difficulty navigating the nature of his players. Like, I don't think he looks at Anthony Davis when he's playing and when we're all screaming, why is Anthony Davis being so passive? I don't think Frank does that. Like, I don't think he goes, okay, you know what? Maybe I need to change it up because Anthony's being really passive right now, no matter what I call. Like, he's not running with Russ. So let me let me play a guy who will run with Russ. So then that way, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. our offense gets a little bit better or, or, you know, there's more defensive effort. Or Anthony's not coming to crash the glass after boxing out or something like that. So let me, let me play a guy. Some of that, we don't have the people to do it. But that's, like, that's important. You know, those small intangible things that are not 
counting stats have to matter. Effort has to matter. And I think maybe he's missing. Um, he, he has some difficulty gauging that uh, and, and working around it. So, man, that, that's, that's, there, there, are, there are some good stuff, man. The Malik, THT, Russ, this was another great Russ game. He kept his turnovers down pretty significantly. Like, he's been really, really good the past, like, two weeks. Um, we just need our stars to kind of, you know, decide when they want to participate and stuff like that. And so I think it'll happen once Frank is gone. And I, I do think we're headed in that direction because um, 500 basketball with, with these three guys, uh, it's I would say it's, you know, below expectations. Oh, my goodness. That, that would be the very kindest way you could put it there. <laughs> Um, you know, I, this is the last thing I'm going to say, and then I want you to, uh, uh, respond and then we'll get out of here and we'll call it a night. Um, so when Frank goes, which feels kind of inevitable, but I guess we'll find out, you know, I've been one of the people advocating for that. I'm not alone, but I, I do feel like it's important to drive home this final point. The, the main reason why I think he should be gone is LeBron AD's buy-in. To me, that's literally I could I could even make a case that that's the only real reason, because the truth is, is there is there is good that comes with Frank that outweighs some of his bad. Is he is he in over his skis offensively? Yes. Is he like like you said, does he struggle to see the 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 personality of his players uh, in the way it's playing out on the floor? and how he can try to counter that by making things easier for them in those specific areas. Yeah, you're absolutely right about that. However, he also brings so much to the table defensively. Um, he does preach effort and focus and he does preach all the right things. And, and I genuinely think he probably is, you know, a, co- a, a coach who's deserving of this opportunity to coach this team through the end of the season. But that said, it's really this simple to me. LeBron and AD appear to not want him, so therefore he has to go. And I know that seems crazy, but this team isn't going anywhere unless LeBron or AD are are caring the way they did two years ago, or two seasons ago, I should say. And mm-hmm. it appears to me that the only way to kickstart that is to fire the coach. And that's not fair to Frank. It, uh, I hope that on the day he's fired that myself and everyone else goes out there and sings his praises because they deserve to be sung because the truth of the matter is he, he has not put forth a fireable job here. What, what, Mm -hmm. what, what has happened here is urgency requires that he's fired the urgency. And therefore the lack uh, I should say the lack of urgency that we're seeing from LeBron and AD has presented urgency with the coaching situation because it's the only available option to try to kick them, like you said, kick them in the balls and try to get them going. So that's kind of, that's yeah, kind of where I'm yeah. at with it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think it's a fair situation that Frank is in, but that's just, this is sort of the nature of just kind of how the NBA. Works. Absolutely. If, if you're superstars, superstars don't buy into the coach that, that they have, um, regardless of whatever the previous accolades are, you have to make a change and um, being, you know, having that malleability or, you know, that flexibility in the front office is, is important. Um, you know, I don't know what direction the Lakers go in if they do move Frank, but I do think that it will result in a more engaged, um, a more engaged uh, LeBron and AD. And I do think that one of those metrics, specifically the offensive rating metric, uh, will start moving in the direction that it should move in. Um, and I think that's what these guys want. I, I honestly think AD and LeBron want to spend the regular season um, – not grinding every single game defensively. Um, you know, when they were saying that AD and Braun were going to play the four and five, I was excited. But at the same time, I thought to myself, I was just like, are they really going to play defense mm-hmm. like for the 35 minutes uh, at four and five? Because that's a lot of work um, just in general. And that's why there's so many role players that play that spot. But they, de- they defended so well the previous two seasons. That's the part that's hard for me to like contextualize here. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it could be. It could be just because of last season, you know. Um, because I, I will say this: I, I think playing defense in the NBA is much more taxing on the body than probably fans realize. Um, you know, Caruso would get all kinds of small injuries. Like we've seen eighty get hit in the face like at least once a game now from an elbow from like a big man just trying to stop him from blocking one of his shots mm-hmm. or, or from a small guard doing it. So there are all kinds of small injuries that happen. Like people have, people are like, yeah, we should play Braun. Not, not that I'm 
completely disagreeing, but like people are like, oh yeah, Braun should play more five. It's like, okay, if Braun starts contesting these jump, these, these layups, you know, with verticality, all it's going to take is one guy to knee him uh, right, in, in, right in his groin area or his midsection, and he's going to be out for like three weeks again. And just today, AD went to go block, uh, who was it, Marvin Bagley? And he got kneed right in the groin. Like, <laughs> and they called the defensive foul on him. But you know what I mean? Like, it just, like, um, defense takes a lot out of you because you're always constantly throwing your body in harm's way to try to, present, to prevent, you know, uh, an offensive player from scoring. And I don't think it's reasonable to expect those two guys to do that. Um, so really, really quick, really offense. quick, not to cut you out, yeah. but this is, I yeah. think there has to be happy medium here. Cause like I said earlier, yes, if your stars aren't willing to do any dirty work, you're signing up to be a bad team. So there has to be a happy yeah. medium in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Um, and yeah, before I went on that tangent, like, <laughs> I agree with you, man. I, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't think it's Frank. I, I don't think it's a coach like this, everything about this team, um, from specifically our stars makes me think that they're not committed to this coach and putting in the kind of effort that they need to with this coach. Um, and it's unfair. I agree. Um, there have been some really, really good things that we've learned about this team, really, really good things that we've seen out of this team um, in, in small, short segments. But I don't think all the pieces will come together uh, until there's a different person kind of manning the wheel um, because player buy-in matters. It's a player's league. That's just how it works. So, you know, I'm going I'm to watch every single game and, and not have extremely high expectations because we could go up by 25, but <laughs> I've already seen us blow one of those leads. So, uh, you know, we'll just, you know, it's, it's a roller coaster season, but, you know, you just, you just got to go through it. Yeah, that, that, that's what makes the team where it is. All right, everybody. I think I'm looking at uh, 1248 a.m. here in Tucson, and I still have to get all this uploaded to the podcast feed. So I think we're going to call it a night. Vinay, I sincerely appreciate you taking the time to course, come in and cover for Raj tonight. Everyone who tuned in to listen, thank you guys so much for your support as always. This is going to air on Dash Radio tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It'll be on our podcast feed here in about 20 minutes. Again, thank you as always for your guys' support. We will be back for the Sunday night game, which I believe is an 8 p.m. start, but I can't remember. Um, either way, we'll be back on the Sunday night. Thank you guys as usual, and we will see you in a couple days.